Mission number one, when you start a new open source project is definitely identify something that is uh, clearly filling a gap and bringing real tangible value to a community of people. This is Contributor, a podcast telling the stories behind the best open source projects and the communities that make them. I'm Eric Anderson. Today we're joined by Loris DeGioni, who is the founder and CTO at Sysdig. He's also the co-creator of Wireshark, which many of you will know, and the creator of Falco. Loris, I am humbled to be on the call with you today. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. We have lots to discuss, and we always start with a brief explanation of the project at hand, Falco. What is Falco? How would you explain it when you're caught in an elevator with somebody? Yeah, Falco is uh, an open source project, which uh, at this point is a CNCF Cloud Native Computing Foundation project. It's uh, a runtime security tool for modern cloud slash cloud native infrastructures. When describing Wireshark, I typically compare it to a security camera for modern infrastructure. So similarly to what, you know, in, in, in a physical environment, you put security cameras in different rooms or in different areas, and then essentially you collect the data from the cameras in a centralized place and you're able to monitor, to understand when something is wrong, to understand if there's something dangerous, and in, in general to, to take action based on that. Falco is uh, like a little software that, that you can plug into different places of your cloud infrastructure and it's able to see inside the workloads like containers, hosts, cloud instances, and this kind of stuff. It's able to monitor cloud logs. It's able to monitor like third-party cloud services like GitHub and so on. And it's able to bring detections and all of these signals in a centralized place where then you can monitor this, collect this information for threat detection and, re and response uh, reasons. And uh, you can also uh, use this data to then take action to protect your digital variables. Awesome. It's quite popular. I mean, I noticed here almost 6,000 GitHub stars. CNCF has, has kind of embraced the project into some level of, I know they have their incubation cycle. Congrats on, on doing something that people seem to love. Yeah, the project is uh, well embraced by the community. At this point, we're counting more than 60 million downloads, 40 plus integrations. We have uh, hundreds of contributors and uh, the project is truly, I mean, it was started originally by me and other CISDIC people, but uh, now it's truly like a project uh, that is that is owned and run by the community with uh, more than 10 organizations that are sort of maintainers of this project, uh, including AWS, ABM, Red Hat, and CISDIC. So it's like a you know, successful project because it sort of fills an important need in the modern stack. Well, I think the only way to truly understand Falco Loris, is to understand you. And there's been a long story that's gotten us here. I'd like to go back to what your kind of original inspiration and interest in all things monitoring, in particular, take us before and Wireshark. How did, how did that come about? Yeah, actually, you know, Falco is, for me in particular, but in general, uh, is uh, the culmination of uh, like over 20 years at this point of operating in this field. In particular, I started working actually on a little piece of Wireshark when I was at school in Italy. I was getting my degree at Polytechnico di Torino around 99, 2000. And uh, 
uh, we started building a network analyzer for the school, for the university, mostly because uh, our computer networking professor believed that the best way to learn a network is observe what's happening on the network. But network analyzers were way too expensive. Only commercial network analyzers, the sniffers of the world, you know, and uh, we just couldn't afford them. And uh, the lab was running Windows, so we needed something running on Windows. And so uh, my graduation project was essentially building a packet capture driver for, for Windows. So connect to the network and to the network card and extract the raw packets so that they can be fed to an application that can dissect them and show their content. It turns out that there was uh, another person, Jar Combs, who's still working with me, but he was, uh, I was in Italy, he was in Kansas City, and uh, he had a similar need. He needed to build a network analyzer because he was working for an internet service provider and didn't have a way to troubleshoot the network, and they didn't have the budget to buy a network analyzer. So he built essentially the visual component. And so we put our projects together. Mine was collecting the, the data from the network. His was interpreting and showing this data. And that's how Ethereal originally was born. Ethereal was renamed into Wireshark in 2006 when Gerald and I actually started a company together with uh, the goal of essentially, you know, providing commercial monetization and, and, and support for the community uh, for Wireshark. Wireshark at the point uh, uh, was uh, already exploding and, and used in, in many, many different uh, places. So that's sort of how we got to the Wireshark and packets part. Why did you call it Wireshark? Just curious. So yeah, as, as I was uh, mentioning, originally, the original name of the tool was called Ethereal. And yeah. you clearly are not old enough to remember those days. But uh, pre-2006, it was already extremely popular and with a different name. And when we started our company, Case Technologies, the website domain name and assets like the trademark and so on for Ethereal were owned by Jared's prior employer, you know? And when both, I left university and he left his company, it was essentially our first business, you know? Uh, and uh, we didn't have uh, money to buy these assets. So we couldn't afford it. So what we did is we forked the project and just gave it a different name. You know, that's the beauty of open source. Totally. Because you're not tied to a website domain or even to a tool name, you know? What the real value is the community. And the community, I mean, was mainly, you know, people contributing to the tool. So we told the community, look, we want to create a company here. We want to su support you even better. In order to do that, we need to change name. And the name that we picked was Wireshark. Uh, we were finding something that would uh, make you think about networks, like wire, but would... Uh, have good mascot properties. Like, <laughs> imagine a shark, you know, it's been, it's been great, you know, because uh, even, even now, you know, and, and if you think about it, Falco is the same. Falco, uh, which we'll get, we'll get it in a second, but it's like just fal Falcon in Italian, you know, the, the, the language where it comes from. So there's a little bit of a pattern, you know, in our team of finding animal names because then the marketing is great and you can do a bunch of cute stuff that is memorable, you know? Good. And how did you run into Jared? He was in the States, you were in Italy and working at, on university projects. Yeah, exactly. When I launched WinPickup at university, again, that was the project uh, of, of my thesis in the network group of, of the Polytechnico di Torino, my university. And uh, after launching it, we also did a little port of TCP dump uh, for Windows. So for the first time, people with a Windows laptop or desktop were able to essentially run well-known networking tool, TCP dump on Windows. So immediately this thing exploded in popularity. 
to the point that uh, by the time I graduated, that little website uh, uh, was generating more traffic than the rest of the university combined. And that's, by the way, one of the reasons how I got a PhD offer from the university, because they were like, if there are all of these people going and downloading this, there must be something interesting that this guy is doing, you know? Among the people who find me, there was Jared, which then found this and built essentially, you know, the Windows version of Ethereal based on this. So our first interaction was just, a, you know, like a technical interaction on mailing lists and stuff like that, you know, we're talking about pre-GitHub times and all this kind of stuff. So just exchanging emails and so on. And then actually the way we started working together is I moved to the United States as a PhD student. And then short after that, I started the company and Gerald reached out to me saying, okay, there's a clear need here because everybody's asking me to build a version of Wireshare that will support wireless networks. So at the point, at least on Windows, it was very hard, if not impossible, to, to do wireless network analysis with, with Wireshark. So it was like, why don't we work together on building something like that? That was essentially our first commercial product called their pickup uh, around, around Wireshark. And essentially I told Jer, okay, I, we can build this together, move to California, and we'll do this together. And that's how, how we started doing business together. So you go to start this business, right? Presumably around Wireshark. But if I understand correctly today, Wireshark's kind of a, a nonprofit org, or it's at least open source. And, and Sysdig doesn't start till 2013, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so by the way, you're right. Wireshark, essentially last week, we announced the Wireshark Foundation. So for the first time, Gerald is still working is with Sysdig now, is still working with us. But for the first time, essentially, we got the, the Wireshark assets and put them in a separate open source foundation. Because as you can see, we're starting all getting gray hair and uh, Wireshark is still there and still thriving. So it's time for us to essentially find it a home that goes beyond us, you know, and really puts in the hand of the community. CSD comes later, essentially, because uh, the Case Technologies, the Wireshark company was acquired in 2010 by Riverbed a company based in San Francisco. Both Gerald and I went to work uh, for, for Riverbed. And uh, while we were there, our product line grew very well in terms of uh, revenues. And essentially we were selling products that were offering visibility of uh, applications and users based on network traffic, you know? Essentially we were connecting to the routers in a network and we were collecting data like the net flow information coming from the router. So summarize network data coming from the router or just sitting on the spam port of the router. The spam port is the port in the router that you can use to mirror all of the traffic. And we were connecting our network analyzers there. And by looking at that, I mean, the network has a beautiful uh, set of properties because you can, we used to say packets never lie because uh, if you're sitting there on the network and all of the traffic is mirrored to you, nothing can escape you, right? And you can do that in a way that is not invasive. So instead of having to install something on every single endpoint, you can just listen, you know, with something separate, zero overhead, zero cost, zero need to deploy something. So all great, all beautiful. Business was growing. We were acquired and uh, our business unit in the new company was, uh, was really thriving. But at the same time, I was starting realizing the world was changing. The cloud was really starting exploding. We're talking about 2010, 2011, 2012, when AWS was really starting to become a real thing, including in the enterprise. And uh, containers, and, you know, a little company called uh, .cloud was renamed into Docker and the container revolution was starting. And all of these new technologies were unfriendly, very unfriendly from the point of view of 
getting this kind of visibility and observability from the network point of view, because in the cloud, you don't have access to the routers anymore and do the tricks that we're doing or mirroring all of the traffic and so on. And with containers, I mean, since they now routinely as customers that pack hundreds and hundreds of containers on a single 96 core or 128 core machine. And there's a lot of stuff that happens in these machines without hitting the wire on the network. So it was not true anymore that packets never lie. And so essentially with SysDig originally, I started with the mission of, okay, how do we reinvent instrumentation and visibility in a way that is that reflects all of the beautiful properties of packets that we learned and we influenced during the prior years in our career, but we do it in a way that is really native for cloud, for containers, for orchestrated microservices applications like Kubernetes and so on. And so what is the right fundamental design for this. And this essentially is uh, how Sysdig was born and how Falco came into existence. Along the way, you pointed out that these new things are happening in parallel to you, you know, cloud, containers. We haven't talked about it, but eBPF. Yeah, yeah. You're marching down a certain path. You kind of have a vision for the future. You're building something. And these things kind of show up alongside you. Are they surprises? Are you kind of aware of their development? Yes, so navigation in these uh, environments is uh, at the same time extremely exciting and super fun and very frustrating. (laughs) Uh, It's it's really, we identified, you know, and and that's why entrepreneurs have opportunities to, to create successful companies. It's really like, I always say, I didn't really invent something new, especially with Sysdig and with Falco and so on. We'll get to Falco in a little bit, but it's more like I took the lessons from the prior generation and just applied them to the new generation. And essentially the the ever-changing IT landscape is what creates these opportunities, right? Right. If we were still using uh, physical servers or IBM mainframes or that kind of stuff, there would would be no Sysdig and and there wouldn't be many other companies, you know? So I consider that if... uh, luck and an opportunity that uh, everything is always so in flux. But in particular, during those years in containers and cloud and Kubernetes, everything was so much like changing every day. I don't know if you remember for a while during those times that we had orchestrator wars. So there was Kubernetes, there was Mesos, there was Docker Swarm, and no one really New, I mean, now it's, yes, it's Kubernetes. Everybody's using Kubernetes, you know? But during those years, it, it was like no one had any idea. So you had to invest on all of them and go to all of the conferences to understand what they're doing, how they're moving, which one is getting an edge, which one is getting more community. And it's constant uh, daily navigation. And uh, uh, even containers, you know, when we started, they were so young that we started before essentially containers were actually there. And then at a certain point, it was like early on, I remember going to San Francisco and see a little presentation at a meetup of Solomon Hikes, the founder of Docker. And I was with my team and we were like, okay, that. That, That's the one. And we decided to focus on that. But you're you're definitely taking more risk when you're doing that, you know, because you're betting on something that now is, of course. But at the point, it was uh, absolutely not, not a given at all. Yeah. Good. So at some point in 2013, you start Sysdig, which is interesting. You made a transition and maybe it, maybe that seemed natural to you from like network land to like Linux kernel land, which feels like a little different. That's impressive. It's different, but uh, Sysdig 
and uh, the sysdig commercial products and the sysdig open source projects like falco or open source sysdig are uh, all based on kernel signal collection in particular an important source of data for us is system calls for the audience the system call is uh, what a program that is running on a machine physical or virtual calls that the program makes to the kernel of the operating system in practice every time the program needs to do something with the external world reading, opening, closing, reading, writing a file, executing a command, doing a, a conversation on the network, interacting with other programs, installing something on the machine. All of these are system calls. So calls that the program makes to the kernel of the operating system. Uh, these calls are something that can be essentially collected in a single point in the kernel of the operating system. And the beauty of, of for example, containers and Kubernetes is that all of these containers share the same operating system. So you get something that uh, creates a single collection point that goes back to the spam port, right? The same way we were able to connect to the router and to the spam port of the router to collect all of the network traffic in a single easy way. Now we can use the kernel of the operating system through technologies like KBPF to collect the interactions, the granular interactions of all of these programs that are running in all of these containers from a single point in the operating system. So it's a different data source, but the philosophy and the way you approach it is very similar. And the properties and the benefits are also very similar. You don't need to install something or link a library in every single application. You can just sit in the, in the operating system and see everything. And I used to say, packets never lie. Now I say, System calls never lie. So again, it's not reinventing something, but it's taking a new data source that is more suitable for this new world and applying all of the things that we learned before to this new data source. Got it. Now that you describe it like that, it is kind of more networky than I realized. I mean, these are containers communicating with each other and their exactly. operating systems over the system call network that wire. But before, from the network, we couldn't see like containers that are talking to each other in a single machine. While by sitting in the kernel of the operating system, they have to go through the kernel to talk to each other and so we can see them. So better visibility. And that, I think, maybe brings us to Falco. So you you start Sysdig and, and maybe just, just a few words on Sysdig. Was that that's kind of on your own or or you had left Riverbed now and wanted to try something new? Yeah, exactly. So I had a company before. We did a successful acquisition, a great team at Riverbed, a lot of fun, but uh, it's always like, uh, you know, being an entrepreneur and a company founder is something that uh, when you do it once, it's hard to do something else in your life. So I was uh, very happy at Riverbed, but counting the days to be able to start something from scratch by myself, you know, with a little group of friends and just uh, be with a complete blank sheet of paper and they have to restart from the beginning. And that's what I did when I started Sysdig in 2014. Awesome. And then when does Falco emerge? Falco emerged in 2016. So we spent a couple of years building uh, the core uh, instrumentation. And we also built an open source tool, as I was mentioning, it's called Sysdig. And it's still very popular open source tool in the community. So open source Sysdig, as you remember, when I talked about the beginning of my story, I thought about the fact that when I was at the university in Italy, I first I built a packet capture driver, and then I ported mm -hmm. TCP dump, the famous command line uh, tool to, to Windows, and that caused that thing to become popular. 
So with OpenSourceSDIG, we did something similar. So we spent a bit of time building a stack to capture system call. And then we built a little command line tool that would be something like TCP dump for your system calls and, and for your containers. So something that you can run on the command line, you can use it to take captures, but instead of taking a capture of the network traffic uh, of, a, of a network segment, you take a capture of uh, a container running on the machine. Very similar concept. And Falco, similarly, you know, when you look at the network, there's a class of security tools in the network called network intrusion detection systems. SNORT, for example, is a very popular open source network intrusion detection system. And these tools work by listening on the network and applying essentially a set of rules, some automated, some based on like, uh, you know, automatic detection machine learning based on this traffic and essentially tell you if there's something wrong with this traffic, typically if there are attacks, you know, in this traffic. And they do that by dissecting and interpreting the network traffic and uh, understanding what's inside these packets and looking if there's if it's something dangerous. And network intrusion detection system is a tool that uh, uh, most companies, you know, deploy on their network. And it's also a class of tools that uh, are normally required, like for compliance, you know, like you, you need to have an IDS if you want to adhere to most of the mo modern security compliance standards. Uh, what we did with Falco is, okay, take the concept of the network intrusion detection system, which is based on packets, and apply it to system calls, right? So take the stream of system calls that uh, we are able to capture and then reach and put a decision engine, a rule engine on top of it so that you can uh, write... Uh, rules that can be something like, okay, let me know every time somebody executes uh, uh, something different from Redis server in the Redis container. Or let me know every time somebody modifies a binary file, so a file in slash bin in my, in my container. Or uh, let me know every time establishes a container to a well-known minor IP address. These are all things that you can specify. Or with cloud logs, let me know, for example, every time somebody is uh, logging in my cloud infrastructure from Asia without multi-factor authentication. These are conditions that you can craft and then Falco takes care of consuming all of this data and letting you know when one of these conditions hit. So it's a new data source, but uh, it was just created originally by taking something that is well known to, to work well and be very important in terms of uh, uh, the way you need it in the networking world and applying it to system calls, containers, cloud, and so on. Amazing. And you're right. You, you would do them for the purpose of observability, security. Nobody's writing rules to actually change the functionality of applications for the purpose of development. Yeah. The, the, let's say Falco is something that you use... Uh, more like in production environments, largely to detect. So as, as I was saying, I compare Falco to a security camera, right? So it's more like a, de a detection tool that you put in your house when the house is built, you know? That doesn't mean that you cannot use it uh, like during the CICD. There are, there are also benefits in, the, in, the, in detecting stuff early, but Falco is more like detection and typically the kind of uh, actions that you take uh, as a consequence of a Falco detection are more like runtime actions like, uh, I don't know, kill this container or go and block this network connection, you know, this kind of stuff rather than a developer action. Yep. Yep. Observe and, and intervene or Correct. remediate in, in some cases. Correct. Awesome. And maybe say a word, you said something earlier about these open source projects, anybody can put code out in the open, but it's not always picked up by people. 
And you've noted that there are certain things that kind of make these projects go viral or get people excited. And in the, in the first, it was this TCP dump for Windows. That was like a missing command, I guess. You know, is that, does that hold true for Sysdig Open Source and, and Falco, where they're kind of key small tasks that, that really caught, caught on with folks? Yeah, I would say. Uh, at least the lesson that I learned is that, uh, number one, when you do open source, it's really like, like a real product, you know? Yeah, it's free, but that doesn't mean that you will have users and, and substantial adoption only by putting something out for free. So rule number one is it needs to be something valuable with a tangible value for somebody who, who installs it, you know? Otherwise, uh, uh, you will never overcome the barrier of somebody just spending time, you know, to deploy and use your software. So mission number one, when you start a new open source project is definitely identify something that is uh, uh, clearly filling a gap and bringing real tangible value to a community of people. That said, as in a real product, there's also the marketing component, right? And without the right marketing, the right, uh, you know, um, uh, word of mouth, uh, you you will never be able to, to reach a certain level of adoption. So from the beginning, uh, especially after starting SysDig, we also focused on, on, on features and properties in our tools that uh, are designed, uh, let's put it this way, for coolness, you know? So somebody... Somebody yeah, yeah. incentivized to go there and say, "Okay, this is this is this is a cool way to you know to spend an evening or to hack around you know uh, with uh, with it for 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 a day or two." Totally, yeah. You know, there's stuff that's very high utility, but maybe not as cool. And you make sure to, to exactly. include some coolness in the project to get people's attention and, and enjoy the utility. When we launched Open Sources Day, one little thing that we did was uh, we made it programmable. Uh, through Lua. It's an embedded programming language. So people could not only use, you know, this command line tool uh, with, with this functionality from the command line, but could also write their little programs to extend it and do other cool stuff. We call these little programs cheesers, you know, because uh, with SysDig you're digging in the system. So with this script you were, you were able to precisely chisel uh, inside the system. And, and it was one way, you know, to incentivize people to come, try it, play with it, have fun with it, and also potentially contribute something back, which in increases the adoption then. Maybe tell us, Loris, how you spend your time today. So, so Sysdig's taken off, Falco's doing well. What gets you excited in the morning? Yeah, so number one, uh, Sysdig went way beyond my expectations when I started this in my backyard, it, 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 actually outside here, you know, I, I have a window in front of me. At this point, Sysdig is an organization with... Uh, I think close to 800 people, you know, so there's definitely delegation uh, going on at this point and many people way smarter than me doing doing a, a bunch of things that maybe I was, I was doing before. Uh, but there's also, you know, like complexity and uh, the need to just, uh, you know, devote focus to participating to, to the management and the growth of this organization. And it's fun because it's an ever-changing uh, job. At the same time, I was the, originally the CEO of SysDig, and then at a certain point, I believe uh, three or four years ago, probably four or five years ago, uh, we brought on board Suresh, our current CEO, to replace me, first of all, number one, because he's so much better than me and do, doing the job of, of the CEO, but also because 
I felt like uh, itch to go back and uh, and spend more time on technical stuff. So now I tend to focus more on like uh, the bleeding edge technical projects, this is dig, and also I spend quite a bit of time on open source. And so both uh, Falco and open source is dig and Wireshark uh, are essentially, you know, a part of, uh, of, of my team, of my organization, Assistic, and uh, I still proudly intro routinely introduce bugs in, uh, in several of these tools. <laughs> yeah. Programming is basically debugging, it's been said, right? You just introduce bugs and then remove them, and that's how you get work done. Yeah, exactly. Falco has a lot of contributors, I saw, and, and some of these kind of corporate-sponsored projects can kind of get by on their own teams. Do people from the outside contribute to Falco? And is that part of your work is kind of navigating community contributions? Yeah, so at this point, the Falco community is uh, pretty well structured and pretty sizable. So one of the reasons why we donated uh, Falco to the Cloud Native Computing Foundation in 2018 was uh, exactly this. So Falco started as a project that is big, but Falco is uh, extremely embedded in the modern cloud computing stack that, uh, that that revolves around Kubernetes, right? It was clear to us that it would have been much more beneficial for the community, but also for us, the Falco developers, if uh, there was uh, a true blessed integration and if the project could really be embraced by a bunch of community players, not only SysDig, but also uh, other security companies, the cloud providers like Amazon and Microsoft and Google and so on. So we sort of uh, consciously decided to focus on expanding the ownership of the project so that uh, it could really become the de facto tool for detection and response in modern environments. So uh, that started by you know putting the project in uh, a sandbox in the Cloud Native Computing Foundation. And when you do that, actually, you know, like the copyright of the source code uh, is uh, Cloud Native Computing Foundation. So it's not copyright SysDig anymore. Of course, SysDig still devotes a lot of resources to, to Falco. And we are still the company that has uh, by far the highest number of, uh, of like daily code contributors to the tool. And we have several maintainers in the project. But now uh, the project has many maintainers, including from you know, other industry players, but also end users, you know, like for example, there are maintainers from Apple and from other companies. It's uh, definitely a little bit more complicated to manage a project that is that has uh, truly many owners, but it's also in the long term, extremely beneficial from the health of the project and from the growth and success uh, point of view. Awesome. As we wind down here, Loris, I wanted to ask you, You've, you've observed a lot of tech changes over the years and you've had to navigate them sometimes in frustration, as you mentioned. Anything you're seeing today that feels reminiscent of that meetup where you saw uh, Docker demoed for the first time, for example? Uh, well, I think you're going to find uh, my answer not very, let's say, creative or unique because you've probably received this answer 20 times in the last couple of months. But I think that uh, the modern, recently uh, released, uh, uh, you know, large language models uh, from uh, uh, companies like OpenAI, ChatGPT, and so on, are uh, 
something that will have an, an impact on pretty much everything you know on the planet including the world of IT including the world of cybersecurity so if I have to pick something that uh, will be disruptive in the next months and years and will you know change the workflows and will create opportunities for somebody to to you know to generate substantial disruptions I think is the application of artificial intelligence to our fields and this includes you know DevOps and includes uh, cybersecurity and cloud security for sure as well. Yeah. Good. What what can folks do to get involved with any of these projects you've mentioned? All of our projects, uh, you know, have uh, open communities with, uh, you know, like a thriving set of uh, not only contributors, but people that uh, can uh, help uh, you get involved and get up to speed. Wireshark has uh, multiple mailing lists that you can join. Falco, we, Falco has a GitHub, is a Slack channel, uh, under the CNCF, actually under the, the Kubernetes Slack. You can, you know, you can just come check out the project on falco.org and there you find all of the links to be, to join the community and be involved with the project. Loris, uh, again, super excited you could join us today and thank you for all your contributions. Wireshark and Sysdig and now Falco. These are, these are staples to any developer. Appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate the community that, you know, gave a chance to some of the software that they've written. You can subscribe to the podcast and check out our community Slack and newsletter at contributor.fyi. If you like the show, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, I'm Eric Anderson, and this has been Contributor. Contributor.